I hate to do this since uh, Jim just let you sit down, but would you stand with me as we read from God's Word? <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get our exercise in tonight. All right, I want everyone to do 15 jumping jacks and 10 crunchy frogs. And yeah, I'm just kidding. Um, this, we are in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4 tonight, as we begin a series focused on the spiritual life. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Timothy has been uh, Paul has been writing to Timothy uh, about the transience of many who call themselves believers but who don't endure. They devote themselves to lying spirits and to demonic instruction. Uh, they impose restrictions on people that God has not imposed. They they do all these things, and Timothy is being called to teach truth rather than error not to allow this false teaching to continue, but to stand in the gap for his church and to protect the sheep. And then we come to verse 7, and we read in 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Pray with me. Father, uh, may we recognize the value of godliness. And as we focus on spiritual matters this evening, I pray that you would work in us to develop godliness. Build us to your image. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It, it, you're not uh, uh, unaware, I am sure, if we talk about, um, if we were to begin to do a survey of Scripture and I was to show you how uh, in the Garden of Eden God made man and woman in his image and then with the fall that image was marred. I don't think that would be news to anybody in here and I don't think it would be news to anybody in here that though we still bear God's image, we do not bear it perfectly. In fact, we do not bear it anywhere close to perfectly. Many times we bear quite a different image, but we are still bearers of God's image. It is that image of God that gives us, each and every one of us, individually value of human life. And this is one of the interesting things as you look at cultures throughout history, because in the modern West, we are beginning to abandon the idea of individual value, the, right, the rights and values of the individual over against the rights and values of the community, of the corporate, of the, of the um, larger group. That was uh, especially common in the East is this teaching uh, of for the greater good. This is why Japanese grandmothers fought to the death in World War II to defend the homeland. Because they saw themselves as valueless apart from the community. And so if Japan, if the empire was to survive, I had to be willing to die. That's why they did that. That's why in, in some parts of the world, in, in the Middle East, for example, you see countries where children are not only used as barricades by terrorists, but are taught to be barricades, taught that it's good for them to die for, for, the, um, for the greater good of their fellow uh, individuals. 
taught that they have no value on their own unless they are willing to die for the cause. But here in the West, we view things differently. We view things from more of an individual perspective. We don't want to sacrifice individuals. We don't want someone to die for the cause when they don't have to. We don't want to leave a soldier behind. So we, we plan and, and execute rescue missions to go get them. You've seen movies of D-Day where, where um, there's a soldier that's behind, deep behind enemy lines and they are, they are trying to figure out how to get him out. Or a soldier is deep into uh, 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 territory held by the enemy in maybe Korea or Vietnam or, or in Indochina or in, uh, you know, pick your, pick your country. And we are trying to find ways to go rescue them out. The reason is because in, in the United States and, and throughout the West, we have had this idea that every individual life is important. Where did that come from? Well, it comes from the scriptures. Because God has made us in his image. And even though we are imperfect bearers of that image, even though we royally mess it up, we still have the image of God in us. But it's also no surprise to you that it takes a lot of work to get us from this marred image of God that we bear to that perfected image of God that we will one day bear. God is not going to leave us in this state. He is going to transform us and change us to be like his son. And we know that that transformation is happening both in the here and now and it happens in the life to come. We know that one day we will be like him. One day we will see him as he truly is. Though now, Paul says, we look through a glass darkly. Now, now we don't quite get it. Now we miss it. Then we won't miss it. He will finish the work in us. This process of sanctification, bringing us closer and closer to that image that we will one day be. Now, God uses different things for this. He uses people. There are people as iron sharpens iron. The proverb says, so one man sharpens another. So sometimes it's a person. Sometimes it's someone who's pouring into you, someone who's sharpening you up. Hopefully, uh, uh, you've had someone in your life that has sharpened you and made you more like God. Sometimes he uses circumstances. Some of y'all have the stories of being flat on your back, nowhere to look but up. God used a circumstance to, to bring you to realization that you need him. Maybe God has used circumstances to confirm his presence. Maybe there's been some things that have happened and they have just fallen right in the line and you've recognized this is the hand of God. I know that I'm doing what he wants me to do. He can use circumstances, sometimes bad ones, sometimes good ones. He uses the slavery in Egypt and a Pharaoh who says no to display his mighty hand and to rescue the Israelites out of Egypt. He didn't have to do that. He could have used a Pharaoh who'd say yes, but he didn't. He did it his way. And his way, well... His way is the best way. That's, that's why his name Yahweh. So how do we get from here to there? We're in this marred image. One day he's in that, he gets us into that perfected image. Where do we, how do we get from here to there? That's what I want us to talk about in this series. There are some things that we call the spiritual disciplines. They are by no means new. They are by no, I'm not going to give you anything that you have not heard before probably in this series. Though there might be some things that you've never thought about in that way. There's nothing dramatic about it that's just come out in the last 20 years. This is not a developing field of science. 
where there are constantly new discoveries made. Oftentimes the answers to your present and your future actually are in the past, and this is something from the past. The spiritual disciplines, well, read it for yourself, 1 Timothy 4, 7, have nothing to do with silly, irreverent myths, the kind of stuff that people were getting hung up on. Uh, If you look back at chapter 1 of this chapter, he says, the Spirit expressly says in latter times, some will depart the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. In other words, there's going to be people that are devoting themselves to false teaching. And this wasn't unique to 2 Timothy. If you look back in 1 Timothy, you see the same admonition. 1 Timothy 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. He is in Ephesus. Ephesus, you know Ephesus. Ephesus is the city uh, to which the book of Ephesians is written. Ephesus is the city, uh, the first city among the seven churches of Asia. From that period of time when Timothy was there, early 60s, to that period of time, mid-90s, when John was writing to Ephesus and other churches from the island of Patmos, do you know the transformation that church underwent? It went from a church that that had to have a pastor who would squash false doctrine to a church that would not deal with false doctrine at all. They would kick out the false teachers. They were praised by Jesus in the mid-90s because the the lessons, the, the pastorship of Timothy took root and that church began to reject false doctrine and only accept the true. So he apparently did a pretty good job on that front. But here in 1 Timothy 4, we have another admonition. Don't have anything to do with those irreverent, silly men. Don't, don't even get yourself in the thick of that. Just, just completely avoid it. Just mow down those weeds. Cut them down. Instead, what should he do? Train yourself for godliness. You really want to know how to get from here to there. How to get from this marred, ugly, uh, terrible image of God that's somehow still an image of God even though it's really messed up to that perfected image that we will one day that's the purpose of the spiritual disciplines the purpose of the disciplines is godliness to get you from where you are to where he wants you to be I say God uses a couple things he uses people he uses circumstance those aren't always in our control but the disciplines the work that we do from our faith, that's something that is in our control. We have input here. Now, we we can't always make them successful. Sometimes you feel like your prayer bounces off the ceiling right back at you. I get that. That's why they're called disciplines because it's not just in the doing of them once or twice or every now and then or periodically or even every day. It's in the struggling through them that God shapes our character. You might say in, in some... in. In, in a different way, that spiritual disciplines are the means by which we become more like God. Happens in a couple different ways. The spiritual disciplines, in one way, are the means that we know God better. We know God better because of spiritual disciplines. How are you going to be like God if you don't know God? Oh yeah, I met him one time. He's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> it's not going to work. You need to know him really well. How do we do that? through the disciplines, prayer, 
communicating with him, spending time with him, talking to him and him talking to us. We have this vision of prayer is that we just take all our requests before God and then and then we leave before he has a chance to put in a word in edgewise. No, it's not prayer, not discipline prayer. Prayer is when we spend time with God. It's the it's Moses and Joshua walking into the tent of meeting and God coming down and meeting with them there face to face. It says of Moses and then Moses leaves the tent of meeting and Joshua stays there to meet further with God. That, that's, that's the discipline of prayer in action. Going to be with God and staying there, living there, dwelling there. It's the means of knowing God better. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 28. These are common verses. These are verses that you're going to hear and you'll be like, oh yeah, I know, I know what that says. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, he says, and I will give you Rest. Take my yoke upon you, catch this, and learn from me. Now, do you think Jesus might have something to say about who God is? Do you think Jesus might have something to teach us about the nature and character of the Father? Well, isn't that why he came? Isn't he God in flesh? He translates God into our language so we can understand him. That's why he came. That's part of why he came. Now, he came to die and rise again. To, to atone for our sins and bring us into right relationship with God, right? So take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lonely in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The spiritual disciplines are the means by which we know God better. He says in, in the last hours, before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane and he's captured, he says to them up in that upper room, he tells them that I'm going away and I'm going to send a helper to you who is going to guide you into all truth. And the way that we interact with that helper through things like Bible study, things like silence and prayer, those things, things like confession and worship, those things bring us into a bigger idea of who God is. We know him better. And as we practice these disciplines, we come to know God in the process. And that's really, that's really the first step of being more godly. But as we begin to know him better, something else also happens. Not only do they help us know God better, the spiritual disciplines help us love God better. Now, you, you, maybe you've seen this. You like this girl or the sky. Go back to your... Go back to that time you're in school, middle school, high school, and, and, and you, you meet this person, or maybe it's in college or whatever, and you, you're meeting them, and they're kind of exciting, and it, it's fun to be around them, and you like them, and so you spend more time with them. And as you spend more time with them, you begin to like them more and more. Maybe you're like Carrie and I. Uh, when we first met, we spent some time together. I, it took me a couple of years to even notice she was there, really. Okay? We, we were involved in some of the same stuff, but I really wasn't paying attention to her. And then suddenly one day I noticed she was there. Whoa, how'd you get here, you know? Over time, the more time I spent with her, the more I began to like her. And the more I began to like her, the more I wanted to spend time with her and the more I began to love her. It's the same way with God. The more time you spend with him, the more you begin to love him. Whoever has my commandments, these are also the words of Jesus, 
and keeps them. He it is who loves me. Isn't that interesting? He ties loving God to keeping his commandments. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. In other words, what he's saying is that the one that's loving me is the one that I am going to be shaping. I am going to be making myself in him, bringing my image to bear in him. So so when we're talking about these spiritual disciplines, we're not just talking about something that we do in order to check off some boxes. We're talking about building a relationship with God that lasts a lifetime. And so the disciplines help us not only to know God better, but to relate with him in a deeper way, to love him better. One of the disciples, Judas, but not that Judas, the other Judas, John specifies, not Iscariot. You know, it's not him, it's another one. He said, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How are you going to show yourself to us, but not show yourself to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. So we have Jesus saying, hey, you know where the terminology Jesus living in your heart comes from? It comes from passages like this, where Jesus says, if you love me, I'm going to come in and I'm going to dwell with you. I will, he who abides in me bears much fruit. Because when we abide in the vine, we have access to all the resources of the vine, the power, the life sustenance that the vine provides. Spiritual disciplines are the means by which we grow that connection. Now, it's not us who's doing the growth. It's God growing us. It it would be like this. George, were you wet before you got out of the car this afternoon? No. Why not? So you're telling me that you didn't get wet until you got in a position where it was raining. You actually put yourself in a spot where the rain was, and that's when you got wet. That's what the disciplines do. No, they don't force you out into the rain. The disciplines put you in the spot for God to use you, work in you. And that really brings us to the last point. Spiritual disciplines help us know God better. They help us love God better. They also help us follow God better. Sometimes we need help with the doing it. Anybody need help with the doing it? I need help with the doing it. I get it. Easy. Tell it to me once. I got it, right? I was the kid that looked at the math problem and knew the answer. And knowing is not the issue with me. It's doing it every single time. It's when I don't do it that I create all the problems, right? To actually follow God better, I need a different kind of strength. Because these guns aren't going to do anything. And no, I don't have very, very large guns. That's, that's just a joke, y'all. But, but my strength, my physical ability has nothing to do with this. He tends at this in verse 8, when he, First uh, uh, Timothy 4, 8, when Paul says that bodily training is of some value. There is value to going to the gym and lifting weights and working out. There is value in doing some kind of martial art or exercising your body in particular ways. There are values in those things. I know a guy that worked out all the time, man. He, he, was, he was a hoss. He was a sheriff, and, and he was strong and fit, and he got in a car wreck, bad car wreck. 
should have paralyzed the guy. But for the grace of God, he walked away. And the only problem he had is he had to wear an eye patch because something hit his eye. He's like, well, you can't, you can't work out your eye and make it stronger. But the rest of his body was so fit that it endured the impact of that wreck much better than a normal person would have. Bodily training, physical exercise. And that's what that word means, train. That, that, that word is exercise. In fact, the word um, might be rendered in your Bibles as exercise yourself unto godliness. Uh, your, your version, if you're reading the New International Standard, says the word discipline there. But that has some value. Paul's not saying don't physically exercise. It's not going to do you any good. He said, no, it, it does have value. How can you preach if you can't have enough breath to talk for 10 minutes straight? How can you go to someone who needs Jesus if you're so physically out of shape, you can't take five steps without heaving and, and huffing and puffing? How can you be obedient to God's will if you're physically incapable of doing much of anything? It's a lot harder. Bodily training has value. But watch this. Godliness, though, he says, godliness is a value in every way. It's valuable today and it's valuable for the time to come. It's valuable in the here and now. It has a benefit to you today, but it also has a benefit that extends far beyond the end of time. The spiritual disciplines are how we follow God better. Can I, can I quote Jesus one more time? Is that okay? Can I do that here? I think I knew that here. Luke, Luke 9. Jesus has just told them, I'm going to be crucified. That's the way to get followers. That's the way to win hearts and minds of people, right? I'm going to be crucified. And then he says this, as if he, as if he didn't scare enough people away with that. He says this in verse, thir- uh, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him, y'all know the next words. What are they? Deny himself. You really, you really want to follow God? You really want to learn how to obey his commands, follow his ways, be conformed to his character? It starts by denying yourself. Spiritual disciplines provide a means to deny yourself. Maybe it's fasting, denying yourself food in order to seek the will of God. Maybe it's simplicity, cutting out all the junk. Maybe, maybe it's service. Getting up and doing something for somebody else and not only being focused on yourself. Maybe it's rest. Saying no to the activities. No to all of the plethora of games on TV. No to all of the various assorted things that you can chase after. That takes discipline. Some of you are thinking, wait a minute, games on TV, that's my, that's my favorite kind of rest. <laughs> Some of y'all have... Um, Spouses, though, that will agree that y'all's blood pressure goes up way too high during some of those games. It's one good thing about us not having uh, much TV where we live is that it's harder for me to get access to games. So I don't, I, I can't, even if I want to, it's not coming in clear. Spiritual disciplines give us a means of developing the relationship with God that grows into obedience to God and shapes us in the character of God. 
Proverbs 23, 12 says, apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. That's the purpose of the disciplines, to take what God has written and to bring it to life, to live our faith, if you will. The next few weeks, we're going to talk about a bunch of different disciplines. It's not going to be an exhaustive list. We're going to talk about things like in taking the word of God, hearing it, reading it, studying it. We're going to talk about meditation. Meditation is not this Eastern idea of emptying your mind of all thoughts. No, it's, 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 it's plugging it chock full of the right kind of thoughts. A discipline of prayer that calls us to the throne of grace to relate with God. A fasting that calls us to put aside the things that we need physically for a time in order to seek life's higher needs. A discipline of simplicity that calls us to get rid of all the excess baggage of journaling. Maybe you've never done this, maybe you do. But of tracking your progress, your hardships. A discipline of confession, this we don't do enough. Of openly admitting your sins. Now, I'm not saying go shout them out from the rooftops. Well, I'll show you what that looks like. A discipline of evangelism, not a quota to meet, but the regular discipline of sharing Christ with others. Worship. You didn't know worship was a discipline, did you? Well, come in here one day when you don't feel like worshiping and try to actually worship God and you'll see the discipline part. Service, putting others' needs before yours. A discipline of rest of stopping. There may be other disciplines that you find that you need. I'm sure there will be. I hope I hope there will be. I hope that there's a whole plethora of them that you develop. But at least as we look through these things, I think we can set a pretty clear set of milestones for us to follow as we seek God and as we draw closer to him. It's a long journey. It's hard. Bring your boots. Don't bring flip-flops, but it's worth it. Pray with me. Father, as we seek to love you and seek to apply discipline into our spiritual lives, as we seek to honor you with things that we do not to earn your favor, but because you have already shown us favor. I pray that we would hear, that we would heed the warning that Richard Foster says that that law-bound disciplines breathe death. I pray that this would not just be a checklist, that it would not just be a list of things we got to do, things we got to muddle through or get through, that it would not just be a list of things that if you're not doing them, you're not Christian enough. Father, I pray that these disciplines would not just be chains that bind us. They would be the means by which you break the chains of sin, slavery to selfish desires and lusts and worldly passions. And as the writer of the hymn says, bind our wandering hearts to you. Help us to live the disciplined life for your glory and for our holiness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.